Hey everyone, this is episode three of Veer Queer here. Um, my name is Endy, and I'm here with B. And yeah, um, this episode is going to be a little bit of um, definitely educational. We wanted to let our listeners know a little bit more about DACA and the SB4 um, legislation that's going on right now since we are in the South and we're very, very close to Mexico and South America and a lot of our residents um, here are going to be affected by it. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask and just check up on everyone. Um, has anything cool or new happened with you since our last episode? Not really. <laughs> I got wisdom tooth surgery, not this past Friday, but the Friday before that. So I got all four of them out, which was fine until I got an upper respiratory infection. And so I'm kind of coming down from that, I guess. Um, today is the first day where I don't feel like death. Um, so I apologize to our listeners if I sound a little raspy or a little tired. I'm just trying to recover. But my parents came in, you know, yesterday. So that was nice for nice. like an early birthday thing. So that was really cool. Oh, yeah. It's your hey. 21st birthday. So, <laughs> Can't believe it. Did you say 21st? Yes. Aren't you turning 21? I'm turning 25, Indisha. Oh, <laughs> I could have sworn you're turning no, 21. No, I'm turning 25 next birthday. That's so funny. <laughs> I could have sworn. I mean, I'll take it if I look that young. Yeah. <laughs> Oh I can't God. wait to buy you your first shot ever. Yeah, okay, yeah. You're going to buy me my first drink. Yeah. My first legal drink. Right. <laughs> Woo! Woo! What about you, Indisha? It's been going on since the last episode. Um, not, not, honestly, not, not much. <laughs> uh, not really. Um, I've just kind of been huddled inside. I've been feeling kind of a little bit blue, um, different shades of blue, but mm-hmm. just kind of in my own zone. I went out. Yesterday, um, I had a really good time. I went to like this little tea party thing, and then I went to a bar. And a I'm, tea party? Who yeah, does that? Me. I do it. I did it. <laughs> That's my life. That's- was it like, t- take me back to that tea party. I want to know a little bit about that. Well, it was in a gallery. It was for a, um, it was like a post-birthday party thing that kind of got pushed back since Harvey. And um, uh. everyone was really cool. We had some like, we had vinyl, you know, doing it up. Um, a lot of really cool smooth jazz, a lot of um, experimental towards the end. We got a little bit of punky and funky. And Ooh. I had drink enough uh, tea mixed with whiskey to start dancing. It was great. <laughs> um, and then after that, we went to a bar and I ran into some friends that I haven't seen in a while. I ran into some listeners. I got a lot of really great feedback on the show. And it was really, really cool because I was just like, oh, my God, thanks for the compliments. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Um but yeah, other than that, I've just kind of been chilling. Um, spend a lot of time with my dog. He's at this point now where I spend so much time at home that he knows when I'm about to leave because, like, he knows he knows I'm about to leave by like the number of time I put on pants. Because <laughs> like it's like in the morning um, <laughs> mm-hmm. to walk him, I'll put on my pants, and then he freaks out because he's like, "Oh shit, I'm about to get a walk. Oh my god, it's about to go down." He'll like check <laughs> on me and stuff, and I'm like, "Harley, chill. Like, let me get dressed." And so I walk him, and mm-hmm. then I uh, come back to my room. I take my pants back off because I hate clothes. I really do. Same. Um, and then the second time I put pants on, he's like, oh, she's about to leave. And then he'll just immediately just go to his crate. So that's how much time I've been spending at home is that, like, by the second or third time I put on pants, he mm-hmm. knows I'm about to leave for real. And he's just like, I don't even have to tell him anymore. He's just like, all right, well, I'll see you. Whenever Aww. I see you, I know it's really sad. It's really, really sad. But it also makes me really glad that he's not an actual 
child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like socially acceptable, acceptable yeah. for me to put him in a box for a couple hours and yeah. then let him out. Like, you know. My dog just looks at me like with this pitiful look of like, mom, why are you leaving me? Like, yeah. it doesn't matter if I'm gone for work or just for an hour. And yeah. it breaks my heart every time. Yeah. I mean, um, as long as they're super excited when you come back, that's how yeah. you know they don't mind. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just like, oh, my goodness, my parents home. I'm about to wreck shit. Hey, <laughs> you know, like, that's how you know when it's it's good. Mm hmm. Um, I always think of that that meme on the internet of Squidward. It's like when you're out having a good time, then you remember like your pet's home alone. Oh my god! <laughs> like, I know what you're so talking me. about. That's so me. Mm-hmm. Like once it once it hits like a certain time at night, I'm like shit. Harley's probably missing me <gasps> in the same way. Real bad. Like I have to make plans around my dog. Like oh, yeah. around my dog's like walking schedule, feeding schedule. Mm-hmm. Like if my friends are trying to hang out, be like, okay, but how long? Like I gotta walk my dog. Yeah, but oh, that's also like a really good excuse to leave a situation yeah. you don't want to be in I've, I've i'm sorry to whoever's listening that i've used it on <laughs> but i've used that uh, quite a few times like if i feel like uncomfortable or tired or i just don't want to be there anymore i'm like oh shit this has been not that fun and i have a responsibility so i'm gonna dip like right now peace later <laughs> yeah okay um so yeah i wanted to talk a little bit about daca and sb4 but just go over them like very very briefly yeah um, if you have any questions or you just want me to just like kind of spew everything out, like, well, yeah, um, I definitely know that there's been a lot of changes with it. There's been a lot of confusion. There's been a lot of stuff on social media about it. People mm-hmm. are saying this and that and this and that. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's like, what, what is the truth? Like what's actually going yeah. on? So with all that being said, um, yeah, go ahead and let us know exactly what is DACA. Sure. So DACA is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. It is a two-year renewal program announced by Obama, uh, and it does not provide a pathway to citizenship. And what it does is that it gives undocumented immigrant youth the ability to apply for a work permit or social security number, and it also gives them protection from deportation, and they even get a driver's license from it. So um, who exactly qualifies and who's eligible for it? So the the people who qualify for it and who is eligible are going to be young people who were born on or bo- sorry on or after June sixteenth, nineteen eighty one, who came to the U.S. before the age of sixteen. Um, it's also for people who don't have like quote unquote lawful immigration status, and for those who have lived continuously in the U.S. since June fifteenth, two thousand seven, uh, they have to be at least fifteen years old, and they have to be currently in school or a graduate of high school, or a GED recipient, or honorably discharged military veteran. Um, You also have to have a clean criminal record and pass a background check. So really, DACA was trying to mainly target those who were, you know, going to school or those who were serving in the military. Okay. For the most part. So Obama started it, but Trump is making changes to it. So what exactly did, did he do, and what does it mean? So, well, that's a question that I'm going to ask our guests later to, okay. to speak more in detail about it. But really quickly, I'm, I'm, I want to say that what Trump did was that he, just, he ended DACA and he's giving basically Congress six months to come up with sort of a replacement plan. Um, but most recently he said, I, I found this out as of Friday, that he basically goes, well, I will support some kind of play as so as long as my wall still gets built somehow. So he's basically telling everyone to get bent. Why is he so, like, aggy over this fucking wall? 
fucking tell me about it. I don't know. It's such a waste of money. Such a waste of money. Like, in I don't I like could, him. Anyway, um, why are the recipients called dreamers? So the recipients are called dreamers because DACA was a like a compromise program devised by Obama when the so-called Development Relief and Education for Alien Minors or DREAM Act failed to pass, and it has continually to pa- like failed to pass since then. It was introduced back in two thousand and one, and it would have gave undocumented well offered undocumented children the chance of permanent legal residency so the dream act is still something that comes up a lot in congress but it just continues to fail Hmm. yeah so and so how does this really affect texas or really houston so eight hundred thousand undocumented immigrants who were brought into the u.s as children benefit from this program right but but listen to this this decision could affect nearly seventy thousand people in the greater Houston area. If, wow. you, if you think about it, that's almost 10% of DACA recipients. Like, you know what I mean? Just ten th- just add 10,000 more people and that's going to be 80,000, right? And a lot of these are still people who are trying to recover from Harvey. Um, most of the Dreamers are from Mexico and El Salvador and Guatemala and Honduras, but some of the um, recipients also happen to be uh, Korean or Filipino immigrants. Um, and most of the people who benefit from this program, live in California, Florida, New York, and who would have thunk it, Texas. So um, what's SB4? What's going on with that? So SB4 is a controversial measure that was designed to crack down on sanctuary cities in Texas. It was supposed to go into effect September 1st. Um, Basically, it gave local law enforcement the authority to ask a person's uh, immigration status during routine, um, what's it called? interactions such as even a traffic stop um yeah i know it's bullshit right that's fucking terrifying right like i'm a citizen right but that it makes me paranoid to think that i'd have to carry my birth certificate to like make sure that i can prove that i'm a citizen right right um but it also required local officials to comply with requests from federal immigration authorities to detain anyone suspected of being undocumented Local law enforcement officials could be fined and removed from office if they did not cooperate with federal immigration authorities. <sighs> I'm so stressed. Me too. It's, it's what I think about constantly a lot. Um, and so this is something that I'm going to talk a little bit with our guests later as well. But briefly, I want to say that the current status of SB4 is that Chief U.S. District Judge Orlando Garcia temporarily blocked it just two days before it was supposed to go into effect. So, yay! At least that's some sort of good news for now, I guess. So Um, right now it's not in effect? No, not right now. Okay, good. Yeah, not right now. So with that, I want to go ahead and introduce our very special guest here with us today who can tell us her firsthand experiences with living as undocumented and queer in the South. A DACA recipient as well, Yunwin Alvarado is well-versed in SB4 and involved with University Leadership Initiative, or ULI, which is an undocumented youth-led organization that advocates for the rights of the undocumented community at the local, state, and national levels. She's a former Dream Summer Fellow at the UCLA Labor Center and the American Federation of Teachers and is currently studying journalism as a sophomore at Texas State University. Hey, Yunwen, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? 
I'm good. Thank you for asking. So thank you for coming on to the show and talking to us about, you know, living your experiences with being queer and documented in the South and also a little bit about uh, your involvement with SB4 and how DACA is affecting you and the community as a whole. And so going into that, could you give us a little bit of clarification about the recent DACA announcement for our listeners? Work after 
However, many undocumented students rely on income earned through jobs to help pay for their education and will therefore face financial burdens to pay for everything tuition, rent, school-related expenses. Um, and also, perspective of documented college students currently in secondary school may begin to feel discouraged from pursuing their education with uncertainty as to whether they will be able to gain meaningful employment after graduation. I know that's the case for me. I'm kind of like, I'm in my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. It's really worth it finishing. It's, I can't even practice what I'm going for. Um, but it is important that these students receive the appropriate, realistically sensitive support and encouragement of their educators and support network to not let their lives be dictated by the recession of an executive order, uncertainty of a piece of legislation passing. But pursuing an education as realistically as possible matters. The decision for some doctor did not occur in a vacuum. Uh, the possibility of fully effective as before, the expansion of the 287G agreement uh, among Texas localities, ever increasing border security initiatives instead of a southern border wall, and the rescission of DACA creates a toxic humanitarian crisis of anti immigrant injustice. And humanity in Texas. Um, I know that I said a lot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. Um, so I know that because you're a DACA recipient, the announcement will affect you both on the national level, but also kind of on the state level in a way because of the Texas Dream Act, correct? Well, like I said earlier, uh, what is done at the Texas Dream Act is in state tuition, mm-hmm. and it wasn't placed before DACA. Personally, when Doc went, sorry, when Trump gave the announcement that he was ending DACA. So I actually remember very well because, uh, well, it was on Tuesday, September 5th, uh, and I remember that that morning, well, the night before, I had spent the night at my friend's house. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, a, he's a citizen, but he he knew that I didn't want to be alone because I was by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knew that I needed that support, so like he picked me up the next floor, and I spent the night at his house. Um, uh, and that morning, I woke up super early, like I couldn't sleep anyway. And I just, and I came to school, and I told uh, my mentor, I was like, "Today is the announcement, and this is going to be live streamed." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Do you want to watch it together?" And I told him, "I have class." But I can't go because I'm going to break down. And so we made a decision. We would watch it together. And two other undocumented friends 
wanted to watch it together at golf. So we went and we went to uh, an office and that's where we watched it. Mm-hmm. And we were just sitting there like my other mentor had brought like chocolate milk and pandulpe <laughs> and everything to like mm-hmm. comfort me. Yeah. And, but like I couldn't even like swallow anything. I couldn't eat anything because I was so sick and like my stomach was just like closed. Like, and as I was watching the announcement, um, my attorney general, Jeff Sessions, it was, I felt really numb. Like, at one point, Sessions said that something about being humane in the decision to end DACA, like it was the most humane option or, I don't know, it was something along those lines. And that made me so angry. He was basically like blaming every single problem on DACA. Um, and like, like I felt angry afterwards. While I was watching that, I felt so numb. Like, I just couldn't. It's not that I can't believe it. I, I guess I just, it was just so surreal that this was actually happening and that I was witnessing this and that. Uh, because it's just, because I've been thinking a lot, like, why do people, like, hate me because I don't have a piece of paper, you know? Uh, and, it was, and I was just having that same thought while I was watching the announcement. It was like, why does it matter where I was born? <laughs> like, I'm still a human being. Um, but, like, once the announcement was over, I, I just couldn't stop crying. And my mom called me. Like, right after it stopped, like, um, my mom, um, she's somewhere else. I, I live in my college town. And she called me, and she was at work, and she said that at work they were talking about how Daga had ended, and she was crying. I told her it was going to be okay, and she was like, yeah, it's going to be okay. You can do this. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, we survived before Daga, and we can still do it. And, like, we both were repeating that, and we were trying to comfort ourselves, even though, like, it's really hard to believe, even what we were saying, but, yeah, it just, it was very heartbreaking, it's what I'm getting at, basically. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting a little emotional right now over here, just because, like, this is something that's going to affect, you know, so many people that I love and care about, and, you know, I mean, not my family personally, but, you know, I have a friend of mine who I consider a sister who, you know, her husband is a DACA recipient too. And it just, I, it's, it's, I don't know. I just, I don't have words for it either, you know? So, um, so what does DACA mean for you? And when did you realize that you could apply for DACA? DACA means different things for a lot of people. Um, for a lot of my friends, it meant that that they could finally practice the career that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of friends that that they graduated college, you know, they graduated as engineers, but couldn't actually, you know, practice that. So back up for that, being able to do that. Um, I I got back when I was fifteen, mm-hmm. so it was at the age where you know, I was just out to to work. Mm-hmm. Like, so, like, that is the age that people are out to work, I guess. Uh, 
so for me, I, I guess I was lucky that I didn't have to live a life like that before DACA. Mm-hmm. Like, I just ate, I aged into DACA. So, as soon as I got it, like, I could work. But for me, it was more than just employment. Um, I grew up in, in a beautiful home. And having the ability to work legally was an excuse for me to be able to get out of the house. So I wouldn't have to go back home. I could work long hours. I could take up, you know, extra shifts. I picked up an internship along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it basically meant freedom for me. Um, not because I needed to work, uh, which I'm very lucky for, but I, mm-hmm. that my parents never forced me to work because there was no need for me to. But I guess just having that sense of freedom that, I could be out of the house for as long as I needed to and have an excuse and not mm-hmm. be on that or like anything else that comes, you know, with an abusive home. Um, so for me, it just meant freedom. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask which country you emigrated from? Um, I came from Mexico. Okay. When did you come into the U.S.? Uh, I came when I had just turned seven. Um, maybe... I'm not sure what year. I'm 19 right now, and I'm not very good at math. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was seven years old. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have any memory of it, of Mexico at all? Yeah, I mean, I remember going to school there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I have a lot of good memories. Of, <laughs> I, I miss going to school in Mexico because I remember that there was, like, a vendor, uh, like, during recess Do you have any hope that Congress will come up with a sort of a replacement plan? Uh, maybe one that might provide a pathway for citizenship for dreamers? Yeah, I mean, uh, right now, right now, you know, there's the RAG Act and there's the Dream Act. And, you know, the Dream Act has come up several times before, uh, but it's failed every time. Yeah. And I do have hope that eventually, you know, there will be something because, like, I stubbornly believe that, you know, I can't, you know, no matter, like, what, how many, like, bad things there are or how bad things seem, mm-hmm. they're, like, things always, like, solve themselves, you know, like, things always turn out for the better, even if there wasn't looking. Mm-hmm. So I do have hope that someday there's going to be, like, permanent solutions for immigrants. Right. Uh, and not just, you know, young immigrants, but, like, people like my mom. 
and people that don't fit like that dreamer mold. Right. Uh, I have high hopes and dreams that one day it will happen. And it might not happen, you know, this year or next year or the next five or ten years. I hope it doesn't, you know, take that long. Yeah. But, um, I'm, I'm trying to be realistic with, with, like, our political climate. Yeah. Um. So, but I do think that there will be something. So I kind of want to shift the conversation a little bit and ask you about SB4. I know that when we were getting um, getting in touch for the podcast that I was told that you were well-versed with SB4 with your activism, correct? Yeah. So do you know what is the current status of SB4? What steps would have to be taken for it to go into Supreme Court potentially? Yeah. Um, so basically... A couple of weeks ago, um, SB4 was blocked by federal judge Orlando Garcia of the Western District of Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but although it was temporarily blocked, um, the major provisions of SB4 remain enjoyed by judge, by judge Garcia's orders. And Texas Attorney General Fitzpatrick has requested a stay of the injunction to the Fifth Circuit of the mm-hmm. uh, Court of Appeals, for which a panel of three judges will convene on September 22nd, so this next week, to hear arguments from plaintiffs and defendants mm-hmm. and then issue a decision on whether the injunction will remain while the merits of the law are being discussed in the courts. Um, the First Circuit also approved Pastor's request for an expedited hearing process mm-hmm. and set hearing on the merits of the law for November 6, um, 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, since the most concerning parts of SB4 were blocked from implementation, um, yeah. this means that Texas cities and counties can direct their officers not to serve in the role of immigration officers. Uh, local, jailers are not, j- local jails are not required to hold individuals based only on a request by ICE. Um, and local officials and employees can criticize as before and speak in favor of changes in immigration enforcement mm-hmm. without fear of punishment under SB4. So basically, like, if SB4, you know, hadn't been blocked, officers, you know, would have served the role of immigration officers. Uh, local jails would have been required to hold individuals based on a request by ICE, and local officials and employees wouldn't have been able to criticize SB4 or they would have, uh, you know, be kicked out of office or, like, removed. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so basically, what Judge Garcia blocked did was, uh, was, you know, the opposite of what SG4 wanted. <laughs> so people are, you know, free to do what they want uh, in terms of, like, speaking against SG4. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Judge Garcia upheld the law's permission that police officers can ask about the immigration status of those who detain or arrest, but individuals do not have to answer those questions, and officers cannot arrest individuals for being undocumented and unlawful presence is a civil offense, not a criminal one. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the next step is that the Fifth Circuit will hear arguments regarding the injunction, injunction on September 22nd. Um, and the Fifth Circuit is in the Orleans. Got um, it. So, uh, in merits of Paxton's appeal and the law itself on November 6th, um, this one is when the hearing is. Um, once the Fifth 
circuit issues a decision on one on whether the injunction will remain, uh, then the side that the court did not rule, uh, uh, rule with, aka the losing side, can and almost certainly will appeal the, that decision of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Supreme Court can then decide whether to take on the case or not, and whether they will take on just the injunction or the entire case. So the merits, injunction, and all. So there are a number of scenarios that have the possibility of occurring, but it seems that then that SC4 will end up in the Supreme Court, given the weight and pressing nature of the issue. Okay. So it seems that these two pieces of legislation, you know, DACA and SB4, does affect the undocumented community, obviously. But I imagine that there are people in that community who are also queer as well. And I know that you self-identify as both undocumented and queer. So I'm just wondering for you personally, does it feel like sometimes you kind of have to come out twice in a sense? Or really, how do you navigate living in those two identities? Uh, yeah, it definitely does have to come out of like two closets. <laughs> and coming out of either, not easier than the other. Uh, depending on the situation, sometimes I find it safer to come out as queer than undocumented. <laughs> And other times I find it safer to come out as undocumented than queer. Um, it depends on the, I guess, uh, who I'm with, where I'm with. And so, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, like, back then, as before, like, putting in together, it's, it's basically just a lot. Uh, especially for, you know, uh, queer undocumented people of color. Right. And, you know, not to play, like, oppression Olympics, but it's, they just say that queer undocumented uh, people of color uh, are more oppressed, you know, than right. gender, heterosexual immigrants. Because I know that if I get deported um, to Mexico, I will not be safe at all. Uh, yeah. Especially in the part where I live. Um, and I, uh, it's not, I, guess I, I wouldn't be able to be my true self, and I'm actually not sure if I would either, you know, I would even, you know, make it out a lot. Um, yeah. Because things are so bad, because I know how my dad and family is, and mm-hmm. I know how my time to count is. And, and that, it, it, it seems like such an outdated perspective that that I could, you know, be killed for being queer, but it's something that's very much a reality. And although I am not trans myself, I know that my trans siblings face an even greater risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply because, you know, they want to live their true selves. And now with DACA being recommended and people, you know, look about status, um, it, it just puts clear undocumented people of color at risk of, of being the place of their basically. Right. Well, Ewan, thank you so much for coming on to the show and talking to us a little bit about, you know, DACA as before and being undocumented and queer. Uh, before we go, though, I wanted to sign off by asking you, is there anything that our listeners should know about, about, you know, what can they do or is there anything that they can do to help this community out? Yeah, um, there's different ways that people can help. So there in Houston, there's um, the Youth Empowerment Alliance, there's United We in Houston, um, those are organizations that are frequently uh, either like raising funds for the immigrant community to like you know to renew their DACA or for like emergency emergency plans something like that. So mm-hmm. if people you know can't go out, they aren't able to uh, go out and you know take the streets. They they can help you know financially, uh, but it also times are tough. So 
if you can't help financially, but you help in spare time, showing up for the immigrant community in different ways. And it doesn't have to be, you know, just like going out with a sign and protesting. You can call, write, um, or otherwise contact the Congress members to demand um, the, their support for a legislative solution and for anything else, really, um, to demand justice for undocumented people. Not just DACA people, but everyone, all 11 million. <laughs> because at the end of the day, regardless of DACA or not, mm-hmm. all 11 million people are human beings. So there's definitely different ways. Uh, and keeping up with those, uh, with, um, groups that directly affect people, that directly, um, that are being run by directly affected people, is that serve the directly affected people. Mm-hmm. So like I said, the Empowerment Alliance at, uh, the University of Houston or United with Green Houston as well. Okay. Well, thank you again, Yunwen, for, you know, coming on to the show and talking to us. Um, you know, uh, if, is there anything else that you need to tell us or anything else that you want to add before we sign off? Um, no. I'm just here to say. <laughs> <laughs> Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ewan. You have a wonderful evening. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. That was such a great interview. I'm really glad that she was able to come through and give us some more information um, about her personal experiences with DACA. I have here a couple of um, feedback um, from our listeners based on both DACA and also their thoughts. Um, First off, thank everyone. I want to thank everyone for sending in um, their thoughts about either DACA or about our uh, podcast in general. That really helps. We love you guys. Um, Let me pull one up from Anna. So this was an end from Anna. Um, she wrote a, a little piece about DACA. And she said that uh, DACA is more than a program. For those that have it, it is life. DACA is the only way my partner can live comfortably and actively and actively contribute to society. Although even in this program, we both acknowledge that it's only temporary. We have to renew it every two years and to be at the mercy of the government, hoping that they don't take it away. My husband came to the U.S. as a toddler. He was three years old, unaware of what was going on. He celebrated his third birthday here. He was raised here. He had his first girlfriend here. He made his first dollar here. He paid his first taxes here. His life is here, and it's all he's ever known. He got DACA a few months before we started talking and got together. I don't know him personally whenever he announced it at the table people were sitting with, but my eyes still watered, and I cried for him because I knew how difficult the journey had to be, had been to receive some type of security, even if it was temporary. He was thankful he could breathe again when he was driving instead of praying that he wouldn't be stopped by the cops. He was thankful to get a driver's license, something we all dread to do. He was thankful to be able to have a work permit and work without fear. Opportunities and doors were finally open to him. It was hope. That was just a small insert of uh, the email that um, Anna sent to us, but it's very heartwarming. And we also have another one from Jennifer. Um, Jennifer Morant. Jennifer's also been affected by the termination of DACA. She's the one of six kids, and half of them are privileged to be born in the United States, but the other half were born in El Salvador. Um, she has two older siblings that were able to apply for a temporary permanent status permit given back in 2002 because of the hurricane that hit most of the Central America had left those countries in ruins. Unfortunately for her brother, who's only four years older than her, he did not meet the requirements, and he was given an order of deportation. So basically, this pretty much tore apart her family. 
Um, and then her mother had to hire lawyers and he was able to remove the order and suggested that her mother, her brother tried to apply for DACA and he was approved and he was able to find a job and get a driver's license and apply for his place. So he got married in 2006 and his wife is also a DACA recipient and he also and she has cousins that are DACA recipients. So basically most of her family uses this program to stay here and not only stay here, but stay together. Um, thank you so much, Jennifer, for sending that in. Um, that really sheds light on exactly how important this is and how close this hits at home, not only to um, our listeners, but just also to people's families. I also want to thank um, all of our other listeners that were able to send any stuff in that we weren't able to actually touch on. We definitely appreciate it. And yeah, so that was the third episode of Veer Queer. Um, we just wanted to go ahead and give everyone a little bit more education about what's going on because I think it's really hard. It gets really fuzzy seeing everything on social media and it's kind of just people's thoughts blurred, but we want to shed light on people who it actually is affecting. So thank you all so much again for listening. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook page, Very Queer Podcast. And also, if you have any more thoughts or you'd like to have your thoughts either read on the show, if you have any critiques for us, please send us an email at fearqueerhtx at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Mockingbird Network.